It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Erpine, one of your hosts, Jake Lisko. You're going to hear him in part of our sit down with Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan in just a minute. If you're new to the program, quick reminder, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you can find Locked On Bengals. We're the only daily Bengals podcast out there. And we have plenty of fun guests like this one. Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator, sat down with us. This is an exclusive interview. It's a three-part series that we've done. Part one dropped Wednesday. This is part two. Just a warning, I start with Joe Burrow's devastating knee injury that he suffered against Washington. It gets better, I promise. But I had to ask Brian about that moment. I hope you enjoy part two. When when Joe went down, and this I'm coming at pivoting and in, in off of the mm-hmm. uh, our plan here. When, when Joe went down, was there a because it felt like you guys were about to make a run. You're beating Washington. Washington is uh, at the time. Washington ends up going to the playoffs. They make their run. Uh, you had beaten Tennessee uh, before the bye. When he goes down, is there a a moment where the coaches you go into your office and you scream at the top of your lungs because you can't believe that you you know that you just lost your, your starting goal? Is is there that before you move past it and and, and change things? And, and obviously, uh, Brandon did have some sec- success down the stretch, and so did Ryan. Uh, but was there that was there that moment? I mean, there's a moment of frustration just because it's you know, especially because we were really starting to play well. Um, you know, we had we had. We had that Cleveland game, you know, offensively go down and score at the end of the game with a minute left and felt good about doing that. That's a team that we felt like we, we, we should have beat, um, felt like we should have beat Indy. You know, these are all playoff teams that we were playing well against, um, Washington as well. And, and, yeah, I mean, I thought we were just about to hit our stride, you know, and that was what the unfortunate part was uh, about losing Joe at that moment in time is that I thought we were just about to start really kind of taking off offensively. And just because Joe was finally comfortable, he was playing really well, Guys are playing well around him. Uh, we kind of found a, a formula that worked for us at that point. And then, uh, you know, to, to have him go down obviously changes it. Now you got to start playing to the strengths of another quarterback uh, and, and what they do well and try to help them have success. And so uh, that part of it was, was um, you know, you don't have too much time to think about it, to be honest. I mean, you it, it was, it was you know, you kind of think about the flight home and it sucks. And then, you know, you got to get, get right back up and, and go to work on Monday and get a plan together to play again. And so, you, you, you know, there's not a whole lot of time to feel sorry for yourself. Um, just like there's not a whole lot of time to pat yourself on the back either when things are going well, because um, you got another team coming in the pipe in seven days. And so um, you don't get a chance to, to reflect too much usually until after the season. Sounds like the, the big takeaway is there's just not a lot of time in the season, generally speaking. Uh, speaking about Joe Burrow, we talked about his input that he has, the quarterbacks generally have in the, the game plan. You're seeing more quarterbacks right now talking about 
you know, wanting to be traded or, or not being happy with their protection situation. And I saw an interesting tweet. It was probably a week ago now. It said something to the effect of, you know, in most organizations, the highest paid person in the organization is the CEO. In football teams, that tends to be the quarterback. In most businesses, the CEO tends to be involved in pretty much any decision that's going to change the direction of the organization. Obviously not the case so much in professional sports, but do you see any potential shifts coming? Say it's a guy like Tom Brady, who who's doing a lot of recruiting in Tampa, for example, or you know the Peyton Mannings, the, the high-level quarterbacks that have proven it. Do they have a role or should they have a role, in your opinion, in in any front office decision making any personnel direction it's hard to say i think every everybody's a little bit different how they're set up um you know i I do think those guys you know especially when you talk about the tom brady's and peyton mannings and drew Brees. you know i've got to witness it once or twice in my life but you know you go to the pro bowl and those guys sit around and hang you know they sit around the pool and they practice and they they talk to all these guys and they they see guys play and, and they they do have an understanding of what, what good players are and what type of players they want to play with. I mean, that, so to, to say that their opinion is not valid or they shouldn't have a say or have an opinion that can be expressed, I think is probably wrong. Um, I do think quarterbacks should have uh, the ability to at least express their opinion now with the understanding that may not listen to everything you have to say and, and, you, and your opinion might not be as informed as you think it is just because a quarterback knows somebody, you know, just because they, they went to the Pro Bowl with them once and they, and they liked them, uh, that doesn't mean that they fit for the organization. You know, they, these guys, they have an understanding of the salary cap because they're all getting paid and, and they, they, they understand how it all works. But, um, you know, the, to, the running of an organization is, is a little bit different than, um, I think, playing the position. And they, they, the quarterbacks that have earned the right to have the input, I think they should. Um, and then it's up to the organization to determine – how much input they're, they're willing to listen to. And I think most guys, I think even Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning, you, I know for a fact that, you know, they would express opinions and it doesn't mean they're always going to be listened to, or it doesn't mean they were always going to uh, be in charge of the final decision. But um, I do think there's a lot of respect for the guys that have, that have played and had a lot of success in the league that, you know, they, they do earn that right uh, at some point to express an opinion. Um, you know, and again, what, how, what organizations and how much they listen would obviously vary by, by, different places, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily have a, a problem with guys trying to take a little bit of control uh, of the people that are playing with them. Uh, I just don't, I think it's a slippery slope though. When you start deciding you're going to let, let players determine um, how the organization gets run. Uh, I think that's a little bit tricky and uh, I don't know the, the, the correct answer to it all, um, but there certainly feels like there's a, a, a shift in the making how big and how long it lasts and if it's something that changes, you know, how things are done entirely, <clears throat> I guess we'll find out. But uh, I do think just like quarterbacks have say in the game plan, I mean, if, if a quarterback likes a play, they tend to make it work. Uh, if they, if they want to play the, to get run, uh, they certainly have, you know, most places have full authority to, to ask for that play or say, yeah, this is what I want. I mean, you see it with uh, even Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, you, you see him wave off Harbaugh sometimes on, you know, it's a fourth down decision. You say, no, 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 we're going for it. We're going for it. And, you know, he goes for it because the quarterback's convicted in it. And he knows that, hey, this, this, he believes he can get it done. We're going to get it done. And so um, I think there's a, there's a, there's a very fine and probably delicate balance there when it comes to those types of decisions. 
and, and when and where they should have input that, that influences the franchise's, um, you know, path or whatever it is they, they think that they should do. So it's tricky. It's a tricky spot to be in. I can, I can understand both sides of it. So Joe Burrow isn't going to make all eight draft picks. I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, there, is, there is a lot of work that goes into making those decisions too that, that sure. uh, I think gets overlooked by, by you know, players. And some of them understand, some of them don't. Uh, but there's a lot of things that go into evaluating, evaluating players and talent that, that they may not necessarily um, do. You know, they just they play. But, and at the same respect, players do have a, uh, quite, a bit of, uh, quite a bit of feel for what's going on around the league and, and who's playing well and who's the type of teammate they want to play with. So I get both sides. Does your coaching style or did it change at all uh, or your approach going into this year when you first I, – I assume you would have met Joe at the Combine, but you, you, you meet him in person for the first time in months – uh, for, for camp or when he reported to camp. Did you coach him any differently than you, you coached a, a Peyton Manning uh, five, six years prior when he was destined for the Hall of Fame and you were chasing a Super Bowl? Um, yeah, there, there is a difference to some degree. Um, but ultimately, Joe was so impressive and capable of handling so many things as a young player that, you know, I, I would say that the, the ultimately did not coach him much different. Um, because he could handle so much. Now you had, we had to stop and remind ourselves occasionally that, yeah, this is a, he is a rookie. It's because he was so, he's so advanced um, and he works at such a kind of uh, intense pace that he comes across as somebody who's not uh, green. You know, he comes across like a guy that, that knows exactly what he wants and how he wants it done. Um, and most of the time he's dead on. And sometimes we had to remind ourselves that look, we, we don't have to do all of this all the time. You know, we can pull back in some spots, put more on him and others. Um, but we had, you know, had to remind ourselves that he is playing the Baltimore Ravens for the first time. You know, he's never seen that before. He's never seen that. Deep. Like there is things that you had to remind yourself that um, he's still a young player and he's got a ton of work, a ton of growth to do and a ton of work to do still. Um, but, but he was very, very impressive early on. And, you know, we threw everything we could throw at him and, and he handled every last bit of it uh, the way you would hope. And that part was a lot of fun to kind of grow along with him and that experience and, and see him handle those things. Um, and, and every time he stepped on the field, he learned something and he fixed it. If there was a problem, he fixed it. Um, that's kind of the exciting part about Joe. That's the way his personality works. We'll be back with more of our interview with Brian Callahan in just a moment. I'm going to talk to him about wide receivers. Jake asked the question. I know I love wide receivers. Jake was the one who asked about the wide receivers, and it was a really good answer. But first, I got to tell you about Rock Auto because it is cold, cold, cold right now in the Midwest, certainly in Cincinnati. I woke up this morning. I think it was nine degrees. The last thing you want is to be stranded and not have reliable transportation. RockAuto.com can help you keep yourself, keep your car on the road safe and sound. It doesn't matter what you're looking for. Maybe you're looking for a fuel pump assembly. They got it covered. Maybe you just need something basic like windshield washer fluid or air filters. They got you covered. And it doesn't matter what make or model you're driving. They're going to have the part you're looking for. They have over 300 car manufacturers on their website. So if you drive a Mercedes, they got you. Kia, they got you. Chrysler, they got you. Toyota, Honda, doesn't matter. Rock Auto has it in the best part of all. It's not just that they've been serving auto parts customers online for more than two decades. It's because you're going to save money and shop from the comfort of your own home. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. 
Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Let's stay on the Joe Burrow topic for a little bit because I think, you know, most Bengals fans are sold on him. Justin Herbert obviously wins rookie of the year, but I don't think anybody listening to this show really cares. We talked a little bit before the season about how it seemed like all these wide receivers on the Bengals were such a good fit with Joe Burrow's skill set. And and it kind of came down to this idea that, oh, maybe just Joe Burrow is a really good quarterback. But I'm sure when you look at his strengths and weaknesses, whatever they might be, you don't need to disclose what Joe Burrow's weaknesses are. Let's keep that a secret. There are, I'm sure, wide receivers that have a certain skill set that would be like the best fit, considering you've already got a Tyler Boyd and a T. Higgins and an Auden Tate and, and some other receivers on this team. What are the things that you would be looking for if you were looking to add the perfect wide receiver to the group that you have to fit with Joe and to fit with your other guys, what are the skill sets that you would be looking for in a wide receiver? Uh, I mean, the first thing is, is you want a guy that can, that can run, you know, we need some, we do need some speed. Um, and then those guys that most of these guys that you're, you you see anymore can all run, you know, it's not like they're slow. Um, but yeah, definitely a guy that can, that can stretch the field and push the book, push the field and speed uh, enough to, to where teams at least are concerned about it. They don't have to be, um, you know, four two or anything like that, but just enough to be a concern for a defense that it draws attention. Um, the biggest thing I think for our receivers is our, we have smart receivers, and we need more smart receivers, guys that understand coverage, understand route uh, recognition, understand conversions, uh, understand that the quarterback is really smart, and uh, we work at his pace. And so you, you got to be able to handle uh, his his brain and his tempo, the way that he wants to work, and be able to, to see things the way he sees them fast because that's what he expects. And um, I think the intelligence part of it gets over overlooked because it's, it's hard to quantify sometimes. Um, but, but smart receivers are, are very helpful um, when they can, they can see and diagnose. And um, it's probably two, two different intelligences, I guess. There's a kind of a football intelligence and then there's a you know, the mental capacity to, to learn and, and execute the offense um, by volume. So, uh, guys like that, obviously, guys got some ability to play outside. You know, as a as a true outside receiver, and go win one on one. T. Higgins is that type of guy. Uh, Tyler Boyd is the best slot receiver in football, if you ask me. And uh, you know, we need another guy to go out there and, and go win one on one versus whoever lines up against them, uh, really on whatever route that gets called. Um, so that that's the kind of that's the type of receiver that uh, I think you know every NFL team wants uh, at some at some degree. But uh, yeah, I mean, those would be those are the ideal traits for those types of guys. How do you evaluate the the college prospects, the intelligence part of it? Because obviously you can watch the film and it can, actually, does that show up on film? That might show up on film, but you can see them run and, and all that stuff. But how do you evaluate the intelligence part? And if that is so important, is it better to go with a veteran versus maybe a rookie? Uh, it would depend. It would, it would depend on what, what what's, you know, what's available, obviously, and sure. how that fits everything. But um, you know, there's always 
Uh, it's always easier to evaluate veteran players because you see them play in the football. You know, you see them play against NFL players, guys that you've played against, guys that you know. It's always easier to see and present uh, those types of guys. Uh, whereas receivers, you know, especially when you start looking at college receivers, um, some of these guys are so much better than everybody they play against. They never see press coverage. Um, they see so much soft, you know, free access coverage where they just go, you know, they get free runs at safeties. And it's like there's nobody even challenging the release. Um, so that those things are, are, are sometimes hard to project. You don't really know uh, how, how they're going to respond when you, when you start seeing guys like, you know, saving Howard and Denzel Ward and, and guys are going to get up in their face and press them and, and you know, they can run and they're not scared of them either. So um, that part is, 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 is the challenge in, in evaluating receivers. Um, you know, ultimately I think when you get to evaluating their intelligence, the time that you spend with them off, you know, off the field is what's where we make our money and which is makes this a little bit harder now because everything's on zoom uh, for, the, for the, at least for the foreseeable future. But that was a huge part of why we travel so much in the spring is we get a chance to go to the school. You know, you, you take the kid out, usually you take a kid out to dinner um, and then you meet with them for, I like to do private workouts where I'm the only one that, that's there at the school that day. And I spend an hour and a half, two hours in the classroom, watch their tape, listen to them, talk football, have them draw stuff on the board. Um, there's a whole kind of litany of things you work through to see how they recall, uh, how they explain it you know, just how their brain functions with football. And so those things are usually really important. And, and we've gotten a pretty good process on Zoom these days now because that's how we'll have to do it, um, you know, for this for this draft cycle. But um, those are – that's kind of how you measure the intelligence. you got to spend time with the, uh, with the players and really get drilled down on the things you want to find out uh, about what they know, how they can – how they talk it, how they see it. Um, you get a pretty good feel if you talk for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours with somebody about, about you know, their game film in particular. There were a number of times I remember this season watching games and a lot of times people are just, oh, that's a bad throw. And, you know, the throws behind or, or it goes a little bit wide or it goes to a part of the field where there's no receiver. And a lot of times the, the instinct is to blame the quarterback. And when you talk about that, that smart receiver criteria, when you have a guy like Joe Burrow, who, you know, we believe he has a very fast processing speed post snap. We think that he's seeing defenses really well. You need the wide receivers to be seeing that too. So you make the same read. I mean, I can remember sometimes this year alone where it looked like the throw was probably right. And some combination of, of wide receiver decision-making led to it looking like a bit of a bad pass. And I, I noticed you talked to Jeff Hodson recently. You talked about with the, the benefit of continuity, having a chance to work on some details and, and mm -hmm. fix some details. Obviously, the things that stand out to me when you talk about details are a couple of pick plays late in the year where, you know, you get Drew Sample two yards downfield or you get uh, Mike Thomas two yards downfield on those plays. What are some of the other details that you're looking to really focus on in this offseason? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, th that's um, things like that is, 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 is what you what you hope to do. The things that that are not day one. Um, it's not that we're not teaching the concepts anymore. The concepts are in, we all know what we call things, where you're supposed to line up, uh, what you're supposed to do versus particular coverages. Um, and now you can start really drilling down into the, you know, this is, there's a, there's another level of learning. It's, you know, we've, we've gone through one-on-one and two-on-one now we're in three-on-one, you know, we're, we're in this uh, mode of where now we can really, really fine tune. Uh, like I said, those pick plays, right? We, we tell our guys all the time, 
look, we, we want to pick with no contact, pick with no contact as much as possible. If they're within a yard, you can hit them. But now you got to go back and look and go, well, Drew might say, look, I thought he was within a yard at, at the snap point. Well, it's a very fine line. You're talking about a yard difference. Uh, how does he know that? Well, now we can watch, you know, 45 of these from around the league and really show him the difference and see if he can get him to feel the difference. What that feels like on the release point. As soon as, as soon as you release and you feel like I back up, that's it. It's over. You can't make any contact. So, um, you know, that's as a as a specific example, that would be one. But um, and now you get a chance to go back and watch. Uh, one of the things I learned from Peyton that he did every offseason is he would go back and watch every interception, uh, every missed interception. So, well, you know, obviously the balls that get uh, hit off hands or tipped or don't they're not quite turnovers, but they're turnover worthy type plays. Um, and then you watch. Uh, all the touchdowns, and you watch all the missed touchdowns. Where, where did we miss those plays down the low red zone that, that are different between uh, uh, three and seven? And so those are, those are the, the – you have the time now to do that. So you don't have to sit there and say, you know, we don't have enough time. we gotta, we got to keep pushing forward with the scheme. Everybody knows the scheme. And now we can really try to get – really drill down into in the finer points of these things, and, and hopefully you see the difference of, of a system going into year three uh, versus a system in year one. And then those – you know, I think those are those are large differences in between those uh, when you look at them across the league. Really, really good stuff from Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator. Here's the good news. We still have one more segment and then a whole nother part to this series. Up next, I'm going to ask Brian about offensive line. What does he look for in an offensive lineman? He'll answer that and so much more in our third segment. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but you can still bet on the NFL draft, which we're going to talk to Brian Callahan about. The NBA, college basketball, the NHL, all in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered. So go there right now. BetOnline.ag. I use it. You should use it. Jake uses it. All you got to do, go to betonline.ag, use promo code Locked On. you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's that simple. Betonline.ag, you can use the website or sign up on your mobile device, use the promo code Locked On, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Offensive line is obviously going to be a a big topic on our podcast among fans over the next few months as well. We asked about wide receivers and what you look for there. What do you look for when you're evaluating offensive linemen? Um, Guys that can block people. Um, That's (laughs) usually the starting point. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, there's, there's different fits, you know, there's different things that guys do well. You know, you might see these bigger, heavier, uh, kind of mauler type guys that fit really good in the gap scheme system, run game system. And that's what they do. You know, it's uh, Tampa Bay runs the duo play probably 20 times a game. It feels like, you know, where they're just, they're just double teaming people and trying to move them off the ball. 
Uh, whereas, you know, some of the wide zone teams, San Francisco's of the world and, um, you know, teams that are really good around the wide zone, they get there a little bit lighter, a little more athletic. Uh, they can, they, you know, they can climb on the second level. Um, they can, they can run and they can, they can cover up these backers that can run way faster than them. Um, so it just depends on, on, on the ski and the system, obviously. So that, you know, everything's different for every, uh, every kind of run scheme that, that you try to employ. Uh, but if you're talking about general stuff, you know, you like tackles that are obviously six, five or bigger. You like guys that have arms that are 33 or longer, usually ideally 34, 35, um, you know, guys that are in the three, 10 minimum, probably hoping for 325 and can still move. Um, those are the types, you know, you want big, we have a big division. Uh, we have heavy people in our division um, and you like to have bigger people too. Uh, and, you, you know, you look at the way Baltimore is built and Pittsburgh is built. They have those types of players, um, you know, Cleveland as well at this point. I mean, it, it's a, it's a big heavy division it always has been. Um, so that's, you know, things like that. If you're just talking measurables, that's what you look for. Um, you know, guys that guys that can, that can process too. You know, you need, you can't be, those guys up front are really smart uh, and they got to be smart together. So you're looking for a group of guys that can function well uh, with their, with how they see the game and the intelligence uh, that comes with being in pass protection and recognizing fronts and blitzes. So those things are, I think are really important. You know, the intelligence factor, I think gets overlooked. Again, it's the same thing with receivers. It's sometimes hard to, to quantify publicly. It's hard to say this guy's a, he's smarter. He's not smart. It's, it's a little more difficult nuance than that, but um, those things do matter. You know, anytime you got linemen that can move people off the ball, that got they're big and strong, are usually the ones that I like. There's two directions we can take the conversation from here. We can talk a little bit about the offensive line and and what kind of went sideways from what was envisioned in the preseason, or we can talk a little bit about the the running game, the wide zone stuff, and and me put me drawing. Uh, you know, like Charlie and always sunny in Philadelphia. I got my, my coaching connections and I'm looking at the coaching trees, trying to figure out what kind of scheme you're going to run. Which way do you want to go next? We can go, we can talk a little scheme if you want. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the wide zone because you guys have been an inside zone scheme, but from the time Zach Taylor was hired and you were hired, I thought we'd see a lot more wide zone and, and that would be kind of the baseline. And instead, while you're a very zone heavy team, yeah, I think you ran the most inside zone or or one of the most highest frequencies of inside zone in the NFL last year. I'm wondering if you're seeing that as something that you're going to transition. You're going to try to get more to that wide zone with Frank Pollock coming back to the organization. I think you kind of hinted that a little bit uh, when you talked to Jeff Hobson. And the other thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about that fold play a little bit. But let's start with zone. If you can talk about your your... Yep aspirations for wide zone if they exist and and maybe for people listening what really differentiates wide versus inside zone um where to start let me start with uh the 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 do we 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 would like to be a little more varied than we were in our scheme you know we did get very heavy tight zone um part of that part of that was is is we ended up um, being a little bit more of a gun run team you know this this season uh, for for a number of different reasons, but it just kind of ended up that way, and so it's it's really hard to run the outside zone from the, from the shotgun um, because you're you're offset. It's hard to get the stretch um, and get the landmark set the way you want. It's not impossible, but it's just a little bit more difficult. So we ended up being a pretty heavy tight zone team, and and that's also what um, you know we found some success with a little bit. But yeah, we we need to be we want to be and need to be more varied in the run scheme. You know, we need to be able to uh, to be able to run inside and outside. They all work together. Uh, you know, a lot of the times when 
you're, you're ripping in the outside zone game. Uh, people find ways to take that away, and, and that's when you get a chance to run the inside zone. Uh, that's when you get a chance to run your duo play, and that's when those things kind of come up. And so, um, you know, the, the Rams were a heavy wide zone team. I don't think it's any secret that uh, that was kind of the, the envision, uh, what we envisioned when we got here. Uh, and it didn't quite play out that way. And so you, you adapt and you adjust and you try to do what your guys do well. And, um, you know, we weren't having the production in the wide zone the way we wanted it. And, you know, you don't have time necessarily to kind of play around with it either. You know, you kind of got to find ways to win games. And, um, you know, it's not really about running the city. Running this, we want to be wide zone, period. We're going to do it until uh, we can't. Well, we're, you know, we still got to find ways to, to move the ball down the field. And so um, we did that in 19. Obviously, we, we changed quite a bit over the course of the year. And then we tried to get a little bit better at it this year. But again, with no offseason uh, and a very limited training camp, it wasn't like we had a bunch of opportunities to, you know, to, to keep drawing the scheme down. And, uh, you know, Joe was really comfortable playing from the shotgun. And so we, we kind of leaned towards whatever he was more comfortable with. Um, and that kind of lent itself to a little more, more tight zone uh, than wide zone. But we definitely would like to be uh, better and more productive in the wide zone for sure. Um, you know, it's kind of a thing that, that we all believe in, Frank, myself, and, and obviously Zach. Um, and to getting to that point is that, you know, I think Frank is, is, a, is one of the best wide zone teachers out there. Um, I think he's got a great feel for how to teach it and how it gets put together collectively uh, with the rest of the run game. And so I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about Frank's addition uh, to the staff. And, uh, and uh, I hope and, and ultimately expect it to be a little better at the wide zone game and, and more varied in the run scheme than, than we have been, you know, in the last, especially in the last year. The second question was the difference between the tight zone and the wide zone. Sure. Yeah. Let's go there next. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, it's it's a the wide zone philosophy is displacing the defense versus moving the defense. Um, the aiming point for the back is wider, so it's a lot better from under center than it is in the gun. Uh, so that way, you can get those guys displaced. And when you watch wide zone teams that run it really well, uh, the back is always in phase with the center to start. Um, the ball is usually a vertical cut, so you know the back has about four steps to make a decision. He's reading the first down defender uh, on the line of scrimmage, and he's usually setting his landmark for. Um, the, the outside hip of the tight end. So when they when they set that course and the landmark they're running, the, the outside hip of the tight end, it's trying to stay in phase with the center and they're just reading it one gap at a time, which is what makes it a zone scheme is, you know, their first reads, the, the defensive end on the, on the inner line of scrimmage. Whatever he does determines the first cut. Whatever the next guy does in the next gap determines the next cut and every, and so on and so forth all the way back. And so uh, the difference between the wide zone and the tight zone is you see the stretch. So the teams that really run the wide zone well is they, they stretch, guys run, they get displacement horizontally, and that ball is a vertical cut. So you see guys running, stretching, and they they hit one cut, and they get right up the field. Um, and occasionally they make a, a, a cut at the second level. But when you're talking about inside zone, inside zone is now double team. Move the down, move the defense. Take the double team to the linebackers. Uh, the back is now in a tighter course. The ball usually ends up winding behind the the backside, uh, using the backside B gap. A uh, lot less horizontal stretch, a lot more vertical push uh, from those guys up front. So they all play off each other. You got to be able to do all of them, um, but those—that's kind of the hopefully the layman's ish terms for for those that are wondering the difference between wide tight zone is ultimately landmarks and, and vertical versus uh, horizontal displacement. That's just really good stuff there from Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. I hope you're enjoying this series. Here's the crazy part: we had Brian booked for about thirty to thirty-five minutes, which was already gracious with his time doing something like that with us. We ended up going over, well over an hour, like an hour and 20 minutes. So it's a three-part series, but 
we'll pull the curtain back. We didn't plan on it being a three-part series. This just kind of fell into our laps, which is amazing. So here's what's going to happen. We're still going to do our weekend mailbag this week because we love interacting with you. And then Brian, part three of this interview with Brian Callahan, is going to be next week. we got a couple other guests that we're uh, booking right now, and it's, uh, it's a fun, exciting time. So we hope you're enjoying this series. Part three of this series will be next week. And part three will start with... Jake asking about a play that the Bengals had a lot of success with. We'll also dive into to Joe Burrow, the NFL draft, the fifth pick, all of those things coming up in part three of our conversation with Brian Callahan. Hope you enjoyed it. And for Jake Lisko, I'm James Erpine. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.